In this episode, we're going to be talking about the biblical account of the creation of the world, the entrance of sin and death, and how Adam and Eve got themselves banished from the garden. Hey, I'm William Dyer. This is Dyer Conversations. Thanks for joining me in today's podcast. If you're new here, just realize that this episode is part of a playlist I'm doing on an introduction to the Bible. So if you've missed those episodes or are interested in checking the earlier ones out, I'm going to put a link up top of this video right here, right now, so that way you can go to them and listen to them if you want to. But let's go ahead and jump into today's conversation. Okay, so in the earlier videos, we talked about some preliminary information on how to approach the Bible and ways to properly interpret it. Now we're actually going to get into the text. So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, again, because we're setting kind of an overall view of what the Bible's about, we're not going to get into all the little different technical details or the different views on this way or that way or the different arguments that people have over certain doctrines within Christianity. I'm going to present to you my view and some of the facts that I think are right there in the text and things that I've studied, and I'm going to encourage you to go look at it yourself and, um, you know, always trust but verify. So, Looking at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it appears to me that it is kind of a title. It's, um, you know, a statement that says, hey, this is what this book is going to start talking about. God, in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth, a euphemism for everything. And that's consistent with what is stated in the rest of the Scripture, that all things came into being through God and His will and His spoken word. Now, what's interesting is that when we get to verse 2, we see that there is a statement there that says that the earth was formless and void. Now, sometimes translations can be, I don't know, a little bit vague if you don't know the original language or if you don't know the, the technical details behind it, and that's okay. The translations aren't that bad. But in this case, I think that there's a nuance that we can learn if we actually get into the original language of Genesis, which is Hebrew. And so in that language, not to get into any of the technical details, but essentially what the author here is trying to present to us is that the earth is not in a state of evil or disarray, but simply that it's uninhabitable. It's just kind of bare. And so what we are going to see in the six days of creation is that God is going to make the earth habitable, and then he's going to fill it. Now, there's a lot of debate going on within the Christian realm, and it's good, healthy debates that needs to be had about whether there's an old earth or young earth, or is this allegory, is this historical, are there 24-hour days, are they not 24-hour days? We're not going to get into any of those, and if you're new to the Bible, don't even bother yourself looking into the details of that yet. Let's just try to figure out what is the actual meaning of the text that we can still gain without trying to figure out any of those arguments that I just talked about. So as I've already stated, what God is going to present to us is that the earth was bare and is uninhabitable, and he's going to make it a place that's habitable, a place where somebody's going to be able to live and want to live, and then he's going to fill the earth. And so we see this really cool parallel in these six days of creation, and that the first three days, God is making the world a habitable, a habitable place. And then in the last three days, God is filling that world. So let's look at that, day one. Now, in day one, we get the understanding that God created light. And then when you go over to day four, we see that 
we start getting into descriptions of the sun and the moon and the stars and the different luminaries and how God separated the day from the night. So in day one, we see that God made the world a habitable place. And then in day four, we see that God is filling it with the sun, the moon, and the stars and the different luminaries. Now you go over to day two and you see that God is um, separating the waters that are above from the waters below. So then you go over to day five and you see that God is filling those waters with the sea creatures and he's filling the air with the birds. So at first in day two, he's making it a habitable place by having the sky and then having the, the seas on the earth. And then in day five, he's actually filling it with those animals that go in those places. When you get to day three, that's when God uh, brings forth the dry land and we get the understanding that the vegetation is beginning to sprout on the dry land. So he's making it a habitable place. It's not a barren wasteland, but it's a place that has land and where this land is actually bringing forth vegetation. And then when you get to day six, the final day of creation, you get God creating the animals and man that are going to live on the land. So he makes it habitable, and then he fills it. And then, of course, on day seven, God rests from his work. Now, a couple notes of detail here, just some specific verses that you want to keep in mind as you continue in your studies throughout the Bible, some foundational verses that are pretty key to Christian values. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it actually tells us that God created man and woman in his image. That's going to be extremely important, especially right now in today's culture as we think about what does the Bible have to say about the abortion issue? What does the Bible have to say about mankind? And how do we define ourselves? Are we able to say that there actually is a man and a woman, or are there a bunch of different sort of genders? Well, if you're a Christian, if you're somebody who wants to follow God in His ways, then you have to look to the Bible and say, well, what does the Bible say? Well, right at the very beginning, we realize that God created two genders, male and female, and they're both in His image. The Bible actually gives value to every human life, and that's one of the things that really sets the Bible apart from a lot of different worldviews, is that in the beginning, throughout all of time, every human being is equal in their value because they bear God's image. And also, when we get to chapter 2, verse 24, we see that God institutes marriage. So again, there's a debate in our culture right now in America over how do we define marriage and what do we do about the marriage issue? Well, again, not getting into all the intimate details about how does that work out in Christianity or in politics or how do we treat different people. That's not what we're talking about. We're simply saying, what does the Bible say about this issue? My point is, from the very beginning... God lays out marriage as an institution that he ordained. Man didn't create marriage. God created marriage. And God created marriage for a man and a woman to leave their mother and father, to join themselves together, and to create their own family unit, and then to begin to go forth there to fulfill the original commission, which is to be fruitful and multiply. That's what God has called mankind to do, to reproduce, to fill the earth, and to multiply. Now we're in chapter two, and this is the part where things get a little crazy because God gives man one thing that they can't do. 
I mean, he gives them a beautiful paradise that he sets them in, you know, gives them all these blessings, and then gives them one thing that they can't do. And we find that in verse 16 and 17. Check this out. The Bible says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it you will surely die. Now one of the first things I want to point out here is that God created man with free will. You and I have the ability to respond to God positively or negatively. Now, if you know anything about the story, you'll understand that Adam and Eve responded negatively. They disobeyed God. If you look at your own life, you'll realize that we've all done the same thing many, many times over. But it's important to note that God has created man with free will. Why did he do this? Well, not to get off into a whole side tangent, but essentially the answer is because God wanted to have creatures who would have a loving relationship with him. And by the very nature of things, you can't force love. God couldn't make us robots and also have us love him. He could have made robots, but there would have been no love because love is a free choice, a free thing that is given. You can't force anybody to love you. You can't make them love you. You can't coerce them to love you. You can only compel them through your own love. And so that's what God did. He created mankind in his image, and he blessed them, and he set out to have a loving relationship with them. And that's going to be important as we try to take into context the entire scope of Scripture and see what is the whole story about. Why did God put all these details in here that we call the Bible? And we're going to answer that today. So God gives them this one prohibition, and then, well, the well-known character, the devil, comes along in the form of a snake, and he tempts Eve. And you can read the story yourself there in chapter 3, but essentially he asks her, do you really believe what God says? And he begins to get her to question whether what God said is trustworthy or not. And then he begins to push her a little bit further. It's like, you're not going to die. And the reason why God told you you couldn't do that is because God's worried that you're going to be like him. So he slanders God, lies about God, gets them to not trust God and not trust God's word. All these things have implications for the exact same temptations that we go through today. You know, the devil wants us to distrust God's word, to believe that God is keeping things from us because he doesn't want us to excel or doesn't want us to have fun or be like him or be as powerful as him. When really the reason why God is telling us not to do certain things and to do other things is for our own well-being. And we're going to see that here. If they would have obeyed God, they would have been in the garden. They would have been in this paradise. They would have had a relationship with God of blessings and love. But instead, they didn't believe him and they went their own way, and they were cursed. They were banished from the garden. They had to work off the ground that now is going to produce thorns and thistles rather than a good environment, the wonderful garden that they were in. Now they're banished from that, and they're out in the wilderness places where there's thorn and thistles, and they got to work by the sweat of their brow, and Eve's going to have pain in childbirth. There's all sorts of things that come along with this that wasn't part of God's intention. Now, some people get really hung up about this whole concept of death. God told them that if you eat of the tree, the day you eat of it, you're going to die. Well, Satan actually tempted them on that and said, you're not going to die. And they ate of the tree, and well, they didn't die that day. 
And so people get confused over that. Understand this, that in the biblical theology, death is not just something that is the end event. What we usually think about of death is when the person ceases to be alive, that moment when their heart stops and we say they have died. Well, in biblical theology, death is really a process. It's something that encompasses the whole man. It's not just a physical thing, but it's also a spiritual thing. We as human beings are not just physically dying and deteriorating. We're also spiritually on the decline. That's why when you become a Christian, the Bible says that you are renewed and you have a spiritual resurrection and you await a bodily resurrection in the future. So to come all the way back to Genesis before we get too far down the road and talking about the full scope of biblical theology, just understand that death is a process. So when God told them that in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die, well, that's exactly what happened. Before that time, Adam and Eve were not like you and I in the process of deteriorating. We don't necessarily know all of what that is like, but what we do know is it was different. So as you and I, every day that we live, we deteriorate to the point that we know our time is ticking and we're getting closer and closer to death. It's inevitable. For them, that wasn't the case. So the process of death did begin the day that they ate of it. They started to die physically, and they started to die spiritually. And so the rest of the Bible is actually God working himself back into a relationship with mankind and giving mankind back the blessing of not having death and the effects that sin brings on the world. Now, in the midst of this really bad episode, you know, we go from God creating this world and it's good, you know, he's saying, you know, everything that I'm creating is good, and he puts man and, and woman in this paradise uh, place and gives them all these blessings. We get immediate downturn where they fall and they mess everything up and they bring sin and death in the world and then they're banished from the garden. But in the midst of all this, as this story takes a really sharp downturn, we get this wonderful promise from God. And if you're one who's okay with marking in your Bible, I would suggest that you mark Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, whether you want to highlight it, underline it, start, whatever you want to do, just note this verse is extremely important. It's technically called the proto-gospel. That is, it's the first promise that God gives that he's going to bring something or someone to mankind to reverse all the ill effects that just happened with Adam and Eve disobeying him and bringing sin and death into the world. So look at Genesis 3.15. God says this, I will put enmity between you, talking about Satan, and the woman, and between your seed, that's Satan's seed, and her seed. And he, notice that singular word there, he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now, when we study the Bible, we want to pay attention to the details, all right? So some of the details to note in this verse is that God is telling Satan that you, Satan, are going to actually injure this person that I'm going to be bringing into the world. And this person that I'm bringing into the world is actually going to be the one who's going to destroy you. Now look at the way God puts this. He says, you're going to strike him on the heel, but he's going to strike you on the head. Now, if you get hit in the foot, 
it might hurt, but it's not going to kill you. But if somebody cracks you upside the head, well, chances are you might die. You probably will die. So what God is telling Satan here is you're going to injure him, but he's going to crush you. He's going to destroy you. And note that God uses the singular he. That's why it's called the proto-gospel. Because what we're going to see from this point forward is God building upon this promise right here. It's a very vague and open-ended promise. And God's going to begin to build upon it and continue to build this context of this Messiah figure who's coming. And that's why the the point of this podcast playlist is to show you that the entire scriptures is all tied around this one theme, this one story. It's all moving in a certain direction, and that is to show you how God is building on this promise and other promises that he's going to give and bring Jesus into the world to fulfill these promises. So if you hang tight into the rest of this playlist, you'll see exactly all the context that he sets out to bring Jesus into the world and then what Jesus does to fulfill all those promises And hopefully you'll have a really, really good understanding of the overall scope of what the Bible is actually about. All right, so thanks guys again for joining me in on this episode of the podcast. I'm going to put a link in the description below to the playlist that I've created. So if you want to check out the earlier episodes, you can. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button, like the video, and uh, share it if you will. If it's helped you, maybe it can help somebody else. I'll see you guys next time.